Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving Iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving Iron time and time again. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Market Rundown with Angie Setzer. How are you this morning, Angie? Good, how are you? Oh, we're doing great over here. Doing good, doing good. All right, so had some news come out yesterday about the WTO put put <laughs> laid down the law, I guess, yesterday. <laughs> Laid down the law yesterday with uh, some fair some fair trade practices when it comes to importing grain into China and and the U.S. won a, a a big deal that wasn't a big deal I guess so um, yeah. I I'm not smart enough to understand it or figure it out so I guess I guess I need I need an expert like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, I mean, yeah, so the WTO, we had had this, this complaint was lodged in 2016, just prior to the, the election. So it was done by the Obama administration, but um, obviously uh, administration members now are saying, well, this just shows you how much President Trump is fighting for farmers. So, okay. Um, and really what they did is they went to the World Trade Organization and said, listen, China is subsidizing their crops, their farmers, their, you know, this dollar some odd uh, bushel uh, credit that they're throwing out there, or a certain amount per acre. They've just been incentivizing um, corn and, and wheat production in their country, which is obvious by how much they have. They have like over 60% of the world's wheat on hand, almost 50%, oh, flip that, 50% of the world's wheat, over 60% of the world's corn on hand. And so the... China has really been, you know, not only are they incentivizing your own producers, they are uh, basically discouraging imports by slapping on these these import quotas and and tariffs. So there's a certain amount that you can import even, um, you know, within the the quota that still has a tariff in place. And then if you go above the import quota number, then the tariff, you know, doubles or, or what have you. So... Uh, yesterday, the, the World Trade Organization determined that, again, this is the second um, victory uh, for the U.S. when it comes to China, you know, really kind of uh, working against WTO outlines. Um, this was the second victory uh, for the U.S. in as many months is what the article is, is telling us. And so, um, you know, it's really one of those things that... Uh, we already knew that China was doing things that they shouldn't be. Um, you know, there was a conversation late last fall that China was going to try to do a lot of um, adjustments to their trade policies to really kind of get in line. You know, they've been allowed to, to pull a lot of different things because the, the World Trade Organization still classifies them as a developing nation. Um, and so there's there's two different um levels of uh, what you can or cannot do. And so China's been really just kind of taking advantage of this developing nation status, even though um, they're not really what you would call a developing nation anymore. I mean, they're still developing, but they're developed. Right. Um, and so, 
they were going to take it upon themselves to change and they haven't. And so here we are. And, and you know, does it really mean a whole lot? Probably not. The markets really did not care um, yesterday. They did close um, a bit stronger than where they were trading when the announcement came out. But traders really were kind of like, oh, okay, well, this isn't going to change anything really, um, you know, Maybe going forward it will, maybe once a trade agreement's put in place and we see a production issue in South America or something, we would see a change from this. But as a whole right now, you know, there really wasn't anything that, you know, you would say was was life altering uh, with this determination yesterday. Yeah. That's kind of what I gathered from it as well. I mean, I read through it and I'm like, I don't even understand what this means other than China is going to stop. Are supposed right. to stop doing whatever, and it's supposed to be this great leveler or whatever. But the market yeah. sure are like, oh, great, that's that's awesome. What yeah. else you got yeah. for I me? Mean, it really, <laughs> yeah, it's nothing. It, it, yeah. Obviously, like we already know, you know that China is pulling things they shouldn't be. They've been getting away with it for quite some time. Yeah. I mean, that's. But is it going to change a whole lot? I don't know. I right. guess we'll see what the agreement looks like that's coming out. Yeah. Okay. Sometime, I mean, yeah, it's going to be like everything else. It might come today, or it might come in four years. Who knows? It could just, yeah, it could yeah. just show up one day. May or June of some year. Right? Yeah, they never, they kind of left that open ended. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Okay, so corn market has been up and down, super amount of volatility in the corn market here the last couple of weeks, especially uh, yeah. coming after the uh, the the. Uh, uh, crop progress report that came out, or the, the planted acres report, I'm sorry, that came out two weeks ago. Um, you know, we hit four bucks there for a minute, got over it just for, just for a second, we got over four bucks yeah. just for a minute, and then it just kind of took it all away, took the air right out of the balloon, and it'd make a, it's been making some runs up where it might gain two to five cents a, a day, and then it'll lose two to five to seven cents the next day. So wh- what's up with the corn market, and why is there so much volatility in there right now? I mean, we're back and forth. It's really kind of one of those things that you look at a record short speculative position, and typically right. when you get the record short speculative position in place that we have, you see a really significant shift. They don't just go from record short to even, you know what I mean, or something like that. They tend to go record short to super long. And right. so it's like uh, you know, running out of a, a crowded movie theater when someone screams fire. And so we've been waiting for that. The problem is, is that there's nothing fundamentally that anyone can get excited about at this point in time, even though corn was the sweetheart when it came to solid fundamental stories six months ago. So, you know, you started out in um, November with the, and this isn't even going back, go back to August and say, you know, production potential ideas and the USDA coming out well above where the market was. And then November comes and we have the, the tightest sex use ratio since the 70s in global supply. And we're talking about China running out of corn eventually and meeting our bushels and all of this stuff. We go into the November supply and demand report and the USDA at that six, 6 billion bushel that China found. They just agree and say, okay, so then that took out, you know, the wind completely out of the sails um, and the, the global number. And then you know, proceed, you know, fast forward and we have a huge South American crop, about a billion bushel more expected coming out of South America this year versus last year. It's throwing a, a wet blanket on our exportable, you know, our export ability. Right. And in theory, we'll have to see what sales and, and 
uh, shipment pace looks like, but so we have this billion bushel more coming out of South America, and then we have you know two million acres more than expected out of the the acreage report, and 200 million bushel of of uh, phantom bushels that we found, you know, and so um, corn right now can't catch a break. I mean, it it really is one of those markets where um, I've been wrong on it for six months plus. I mean, it just you you have one idea of, of what's taking place fundamentally. Um, and suddenly it's a complete and total opposite. So, you know, eventually here we should see some sort of risk premium put in place. We typically do. Um, it's odd to see contract lows put in place in April. That doesn't tend to, to happen in the market. You tend to start to see, um, like I said, some risk premium put in place. But right now the speculators are defending their position and, and it's working for them. I mean, they've been betting on black here for three, four months and every time they bet on black, it hits black. So why would they, you know, turn it around without some sort of catalyst? So we thought maybe weather would be that catalyst. Um, you know, obviously it's quite wet in a lot of places. We, we are seeing isolated, uh, we got a mutiny on the, the bounty here coming, but, um, we are seeing, you know, windows of opportunities in places and places where they're weeks away from being able to, to turn a wheel. And so that's causing some confusion, too, because the people that are, are shorting this market have about this much of an understanding of what actually goes into corn production. So now, right. you know, the one thing that you're also seeing is over the last couple of years, we've built up this risk premium. So we've, we've seen the market rally into June or May, last year was Memorial Day. Um, you know, we've seen this market rally on, on building this risk, risk premium for no reason, because we haven't needed it, because we've managed to produce 100 bajillion bushels of corn, um, even on lower acres or something like that. So it's it's really one of those things right now where everyone's just assuming we have a record crop. Everyone's assuming trend line yield is 180. Everyone's assuming it gets planted over the next three, four weeks. And, you know, all of these other factors are at play that we're talking about. And so every time we try to generate some sort of upside, you know, movement, the funds come back in and, and slam us to the downside. Not to mention the fact that, you know, a lot of folks are trying to point out that the farmers undersold too. So even if yeah. the funds do come in and start buying, you're going to have farmer selling pressure kind of contribute too. But, um, I'm hearing a lot of, he apparently is very passionate about corn. Yeah. I'm hearing a lot of opinions, so, uh, or a lot of other merchandisers across the country that are telling me that farmers are, are hitting that panic selling sort of mindset too. So we could be seeing a lot of farmer selling taking place when, you know, fundamentally or price-wise, it doesn't necessarily make the most sense. But we are seeing basis improvement in a lot of these areas too, um, enough to kind of offset some of this move lower um, for some folks, like uh, Andy up in South Dakota, you know, their basis is 20 under, and he said that's the best he can remember it, can, yeah. can remember it, not just yeah. the best he's seen in a couple of years, that's the best he can remember it in quite some time. Uh, he can't move anything because uh, the weather destroyed his, his local infrastructure, yeah. but other people are because they're able to move, you know, 330 cash, and, and even at harvest time it was 330 cash because their basis was uh, 60 under, you know, yep. so you have seen some basis improvement in some areas offset the futures drop. So I do think there is some farmer selling happening, uh, just maybe not obvious farmer selling, you know, at, at this point in time, simply because no one really wants to sell this market, at least, you know, with what I'm, what I'm hearing out there. Yep. 
no, it's a tough place. A lot of stuff going on, and with all the weather stuff that's happened and the, and the repercussions from that, whether it's flood or flood or droughts or whatever yeah. it might be. So. One thing. <laughs> Once the little dog decides she's gonna bark, then everyone loses it, even though nothing is going on. Yep. So. That's uh, a. I so get yeah, that lots of moving parts. Kind of frustrating. I've been telling my customers right now just. If you don't have to move anything, if you don't have to make any decisions, then you can kind of try to ignore it, get your target orders in for when the market moves in the direction you're hoping it will, and uh, which I hate using that phrase, hoping it will, but obviously you need to spend, you know, you need to, to spend some time focusing on what you want to try to accomplish and, and work to accomplish it. Right on. All right, Angie. Well, if folks want to pick your brain or get a hold of you or ask you a question about what's going on uh how would they do that you can find me on twitter at goddess of grains uh-huh. or email me at asetzer at citizens elevator.com but if you're looking for me over the next couple hours i'm going to be in a padded room somewhere. <laughs> this, is, this is my existence on a day-to-day basis i'll tell you what all right angie take care of yourself we'll talk to you again next week you too. Thanks a lot. Yep, bye. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Find us here Move